of a few things uh, that I want to mention just prior to our getting right into our text, but uh, when we think of Greece today, of course, we think of a nation that is in uh, very bad financial difficulty. As we hear uh, their, their, their financial difficulties are based on many things, but uh, particularly they, they seem to be falling, which is affecting the world market today. Uh, so when we think of Greece, we might think a little bit slanted when we think of the country itself. But remember, back in 400 B.C., Greece, Greece rather, was the cultural megacenter of the world. It was a tremendous place. It, uh, it was a dominating world power under Alexander the Great, and, of course, his father was uh, first in that. Uh, it, was the, it was the hub, if you would, of culture, uh, wisdom, science, sculpture, paintings, uh, agriculture. Uh, they were well known for spreading throughout the world in their agriculture, and uh, their, their building programs were just beyond, beyond description. So we had a, a nation that was just tremendous as far as their, their presence was concerned in world domination. When we are looking at them in the light of the Apostle Paul, we had a, a uh, in the first century, we have a nation that was a has-been nation under, the, uh, under ju- the jurisdiction of Rome. Rome had conquered Greece, and Greece now was just uh, a small factor in world history. Uh, they, had, they had, of course, spread their, their knowledge, their wisdom, their their, their, their wealth throughout the world, and it still has an effect. Even to this day, Greek culture has an effect on our nation, the United States. But under uh, the jurisdiction of Rome, they became nothing as far as uh, Rome was concerned. And Paul is now writing to this church at Rome. And he, I mean, sorry, writing to this church at Greece. And our, our theme was faithfulness. I hope you noticed that in the songs that we sang. God's faithfulness was complete, even unto the church that was at Corinth. Now, I have a few overhead slides. I want to show you first uh, an uninhibited picture of Greece. I trust that you can see this. Uh, you know, of course, the art of Greece. If you just look for this area here, so it looks like something like a hand reaching down into the sea, you'll recognize Greece on, on the map next to Italy between uh, the Aegean Sea uh, um, and Italy. So we have this area of Greece. I want you to notice Corinth right here. Corinth sat on a very small isthmus, which is right here. It's a little land bridge. There was a, there is a, uh, a completed uh, waterway into Greece. Today, that waterway has been cut, and so that there's a channel uh, that goes right into the Aegean Sea. But uh, in the days of Corinth, Corinth... Uh, Goods were brought to Corinth. They were unloaded from Corinth. They were brought across this, uh, this isthmus, and they were loaded and shipped from here, and they traveled into the Aegean Sea and uh, toward the Middle East. Because of the torrential, treacherous waters down here, ships found it best to travel into Greece and, and uh, Corinth and drop off their goods, which made it a hub or a center of wealth. Is a very, very wealthy, wealthy city. Uh, it brought world trade and world travel into the city, but what that brought world sin. It brought all the corruption of the world right into this particular area. So try and keep in mind here, we have Athens, Greece, which was the capital city. 
Then we have Corinth, and then the city of Sincrea, that's mentioned, of course, in the scriptures as well. We won't be dealing with that, but I want to get you a little picture. Now, having seen that uh, picture, if you would, uh, upside down and backwards and everything else here. Okay, if you could follow along with me, please. This, of course, is Greece right in this area. When Paul was traveling to, uh, to Greece, he was traveling on what we would know uh, his second missionary journey. Now, Paul had uh, been in touch with Corinth. He had written letters to Corinth, and we have that uh, in the scriptures located with us, for us, rather. But the first letter that was written, 1 Corinthians, apparently was really the second letter. Paul wrote several letters to Corinth that we do not have in our possession. We have 1 Corinthians, which was actually 2 Corinthians, and we have 2 Corinthians, which, of course, was actually 3 Corinthians. Turn with me to the book of Corinthians, chapter uh, 5, just for a moment. 1 Corinthians, chapter 5. Look, if you would, please, at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. As Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he repeats a statement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. You wrote in an epistle. What epistle was that, Paul? We don't, God chose not to give us that epistle. There are many epistles written in the scriptures or named in the scriptures that we don't really know about. The epistle to the Laodiceans, we don't have that. It's not that, oh, it's missing and it's too bad we don't have it because we would know more. No, it's, we have everything we need to know contained within the Bible we have just to let us know there were other letters out there written to uh, other areas that God chose not to contain within the Word. So for you and I, when we get to heaven, we'll be ever learning. We have an ever-knowledge God, an all-knowing God. We'll be ever learning, and perhaps we'll get an opportunity to read some of these wonderful epistles written by these men God chose not to place in the scriptures. But I want you to notice a couple things, if we could. First of all, that the Apostle Paul uh, came from this area. This is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And when he came into Troas, you recall that uh, the Spirit of God uh, hindered him from going any further. He stopped him right in his tracks. And he said, I want you to go to Europe essentially, sending the apostle to Europe. The Spirit of God uh, gave him a vision for Europe, and Paul came up and landed in this area we know as uh, Europe, uh, or Greece, or Macedonia. He traveled down eventually to Corinth, but when we have churches named in the scriptures, we have, for example, this area. The, this bottom area up to this line is called Achaia. Achaia. So when you hear about the churches at Achaia, You'll know that's that area. Up in this area, Macedonia. Macedonia contains churches we know, Berea, Philippi, Apollonia, Amphipolis, Thessalonica. That's in the churches in Macedonia. Pastor Rob last week did a message on uh, God's word and money. And he talked about the churches that were in Macedonia, gave from their deep poverty to the things of the Lord. And then in the far uh, east, up in here, you have the area known as Thrace. Uh, we don't have any churches that we know that were established there, but we do know that Paul landed in this island 
of Samothrace in, in the book of Acts chapter 16. So Paul is in this area of Corinth. He's been there. He's taught there. I want you to see for a moment, if we could, please turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And I'm interested in Acts uh, chapter 18. We want to see Paul's work in Corinth. Now, was it an accident that Paul ended up in Corinth? Well, in his travels, he wanted to go there. He set that aside. But the Holy Spirit directed Paul specifically to make sure that he went to Corinth. Now, in Acts chapter 18, look with me, please, at verse 1. Acts 18.1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. He traveled the 50 miles from Athens across to the city of Corinth. You recall what happened in Athens. He, he witnessed for the Lord. He talked about the things of the Lord. And ultimately, it was overwhelmingly rejected there in the capital city. However, some believed, of course, and uh, later on we're going to see he established some, some brethren there at uh, Athens. But he travels to Corinth, and notice what happened, verse 2, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, lately come from Italy, Italy with, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had compelled all Jews to depart from Rome and came to them. So the, the Jews that were in Rome were stirred up. They were sent away by Claudius, uh, the, the emperor, and as he sent them away, they traveled, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were wonderful Christian people, traveled right there to Corinth. Paul, should we say, accidentally bumps into them. Of course not. We know God had a, a plan, a, God had a program, God had something uh, specifically designed for the church at Corinth, for Aquila and Priscilla, and for the apostle Paul. And you might think about that in your own life. When, when, you're, when you're traveling somewhere or you bump into someone accidentally, I didn't expect to see here. God expected it. God had something to do with that. God had something all laid out for that. Don't miss that. Recognize that. Use that as God works uh, through your life and in your life. So Paul uh, met with Aquila and Priscilla. And what did he meet with them about? Verse 3. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and worked, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul uh, had a, what's called a trade, if you would, as a tent maker. Now, tent makers today are in great demand. You don't see a lot of advertisement in the paper for tent makers. But in that day, it would be equivalent to a construction job. Uh, He had a a job where he made uh, animal skins, uh, into tents that people could use and take down and bring other places, and some stayed fixed. But Aquila and Priscilla both were uh, involved in this tent making, as was Paul. So Paul uh, found them to be wonderful Christian companions, picking up in verse uh, 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul, as his custom was, the scripture tells us, went directly to the synagogue, and he begins to talk to the Jews fixed in the synagogue about Messiah. Being a Pharisee, he would have been at home in a synagogue. Being a Christian, he understood the Old Testament and who the person was that was promised in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, please, in verse 5, 
And when Silas and Timothy will come from Macedonia, so they, Silas and Timothy are up north here, and they travel south, and they meet the apostle at Corinth. When, Paul and, uh, when Silas and Timothy will come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in his spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus Christ was, uh, Jesus was the Christ. Essentially, he's the Messiah. He's the one. And as Silas and Timothy get together with him, they begin this evangelism circuit right there in the city. In verse 6, and when they, uh, picking it up in verse uh, 6, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, that is, the people in the synagogue, there was a giant uproar, and they start blaspheming, cursing, if you would, with the name of Christ. They start cursing the apostles there, cursing Christ there, cursing uh, this new, quote, religion that Paul is offering unto them. Paul now says, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads, for I am clean. From now on, I will go unto the Gentiles. So Paul recognized this was the departing point. Now, from now on, Paul always, he goes to the Jews, that's for sure, but he sees his primary focus as being the Gentile people. He's going to go to the Gentile people. And now that's not unusual from God's word because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said he would commission his disciples from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world they'd go, and Paul is fulfilling a part of that. So his process is he's now going to be uh, given specifically unto the Gentile people and, and beginning his ministry among them. Uh, he shook his raiment. That's just simply sort of saying, I shake the dust off my, my clothing, my feet. You're, you're not welcoming me. And from now on, I am headed to the Gentile people. And it was, of course, a, um, a, it's a Middle Eastern custom to do that. There are middle, many Middle Eastern customs mentioned in the scriptures. I had an occasion one time where a man came and he tried to debate me on, on his particular uh, religious bent um, he believes in baptismal regeneration. That is, you believe that you were baptized. Uh, I mean, you're not saved until you're really baptized. Of course, that's false, right? It's not true. It's blasphemous. And people who believe that can't be saved because there's no works of righteousness which we have, can do that saved us. But he came here, and it was funny. When he debated me, and I told him I wasn't interested, I didn't believe it, and showed him some scriptures, he shook, shook the dust off his clothes right there in the hallway. And I'm thinking, oh, we don't want your dust here, buddy. Just keep going, you know. But the, it was a Middle Eastern custom to do that, and that's essentially what Paul did, showing showing that uh, this, this was no longer, he was no longer going to be the apostle to the Jews. Verse 7. And he departed from there and entered into a certain man's house named Titus Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next to the synagogue. So just picture that. He travels the house next to the synagogue, and often, often these houses were connected. Often these rooms were connected. Uh, we do not know this to be sure, but uh, maybe uh, either next door, say in that house next door, the house next door here, or, or maybe even a connected room, Paul begins a Bible study, a New Testament Bible study. Verse 8, and Crispus, 
the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Imagine that. A church is formed next door to the synagogue for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thought. Now, I want you to notice, please, that this is God's sovereign will. Just as it was God's sovereign will that there be a church right here in Rhode Island, right in this very place. It's God's sovereign will. Wherever there's a group of believers meeting together, God had a plan for that. That's why they're there. That's why it's such a horror when things happen and churches close down and you, you hear about the sin involved. It's, it, it just drives you crazy. But God had a sovereign program. We can see that, please, in verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Paul in, in the night by a vision, and he said, Be not afraid, but speak and hold, thy, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have many people in this city. God told Paul, you stay right where you are. I'm not going to allow anyone to injure you. Now, people are going to take swings at him. Okay? People are going to be upset with him. People are going to get mad at him and say a lot of bad things about him, but no one's going to hurt you. Why? Because I have a program right here. And many people believed. And look, if you would, please, verse 18. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul is uh, there teaching, preaching the word of God for some 18 months. Now, think about that, if you would, please. This wonderful place, this wonderful Christian activity Paul is involved with, that is evangelism, people are gloriously saved, and Paul begins to teach them. Now, I want you to skip all the way down, please, to verse 17, 17 of chapter 18. Then all of the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of these things. So there was a, there's still a war going on, if you would, right there in, in Corinth, and Paul is the, the subject of it all, but in reality, it's because Paul honored the Lord Jesus Christ. So go back with me now to 1 Corinthians, all the way back to 1 Corinthians, and we want to look at this letter to this wonderful letter to the church. Remember, there was a letter, apparently, written first to the church, and we have this second letter that is written to the church. And Paul is, is trying to encourage this church about God's faithfulness. Though we are often unfaithful, God is always faithful to what he says. And unfortunately, some Christians, they, they go through a period of unfaithfulness, and it plunges them into a cesspool of just horrible, horrible uh, lack of faith. But we need to realize that uh, though I am unfaithful, God says I need to confess my sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and he's able to lift me up out of that sin. And so as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's encouraging them that though Things are going on among you. Many things are going on, sinful things. God is faithful. God is able. God has given you the ability to rise above that. 
First of all, notice if you would please in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So there was no question in Paul's mind. It was God's will that he be an apostle. It was God's will that he serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I say this, if you're here today and you're a Christian, it's God's will that you serve him. There's no question about it. Say, well, I'm not doing that. Then you're out of the will of God. It's God's will that you serve him. Where? In your local assembly. We're going to see a little bit later. We all have spiritual gifts that were all given to us for the purpose of the edification of the body of Christ. And it's God's will that we use those spiritual gifts. Paul recognized it was God's will that he was an apostle. But notice, I want you to notice, please, in uh, verse, the end of verse 1, and Sosthenes, our brother, that was the chief spokesman of the synagogue who got gloriously saved. And there he is with the apostle Paul. Picking up in verse uh, 2, unto the church was at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, set apart, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, God's specific work in their life, called to be saints, with all that are in the place that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. You'll, you'll find Paul mentions that throughout his letters, this grace and peace. Now, recognize that uh, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his blessing upon us. And peace comes from us dwelling in that grace. Peace comes from us dwelling in that grace. It's always God's grace. And what's going on at Corinth? Well, at Corinth, some of these believers brought their former manner of life into the church with them. Sad, sad situation. That is, they, they, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, but they had one foot over here in the world and one foot here in church, if you would. And they held on to their former manner of life. Remember Paul told the Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And apparently, their former manner of life, we would call it from the scriptures, the old man, it's supposed to be renewed, but that's not what happened among the Corinthians. They, they brought along with them some of their former manner of life. Remember the Lord Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't do it. You're either going to yield to the one and, 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 and not be a, a, a life uh, that's fitted for the master's use. Paul later told Timothy, recall that in 2 Timothy, he said, in, in, a, in a giant house there are, there, are many, uh, there are many conditions there. There's many uh, pots, if you would. Some to honor vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. And we need to make sure we purge ourselves so that we're a vessel fitted for the master's use. But at, that wasn't the way at Corinth. At Corinth there were many who rejected the truth of the word of God. You know, when you're saved, brethren, uh, you need to turn away from the former manner of life. You need to get away from it. You can't have all of your old, all the old. Why? Because you become a new creature, a new creation. 
Can we look at that just for a moment? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're coming right back here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look, if you would, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 17. A passage known well to you. I'm going to kind of break it out of the context. But notice what Paul says. Well, let's pick it up in verse 15, if we would. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, and that he died for all, that they who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Wherefore, or therefore, henceforth now know we no man after the flesh, yet we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth we, know, we do not know him anymore. Essentially, he came in the flesh, he's, he's, he's away, into, he's seated at the right hand of the Father now, Verse 17, therefore, he's waiting us in heaven. He's, he's ruling over us. He's judging us. He's working through us and in us and with us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you become a Christian, it behooves you. It strengthens you to turn away from the old man, the old manner of life, and look unto a new man. Remember in the church at Thessalonica, they turned to God from idols. And that has the thought of completely turning away. Um, In past years, I had a ministry, uh, many people in our church had a ministry into the prison here in Rhode Island. And we would travel in and hold Bible studies with those men, and we tried to encourage them in any way we could. Uh, we had services with them. We sang with them. We, we broke up into classes with them. We taught them. We did everything we could. Um, we saw so little fruit from that. So little, so very, very little fruit from that. And the reason is, according to statistics, the offices that talk to us at least, most of these people, when they're released, go right back to their old neighborhood. They go right back to their old places where they got the drugs, where they got in trouble, where they're around friends that had these horrible influences on them. Uh, you, need to, you need to turn to God from, from idols. You need to get away from this. And as much as we encourage them, it perhaps wasn't enough, I do not know. We thought it was, certainly. But they continued on. See, what happened with Corinth is they brought the sin of their old manner of life into the church with them. And, and it began to infect, infest, and essentially it destroyed the church of Corinth. Back with me now to 1 Corinthians, if we could please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So Paul, as Paul is writing to this church, there are problems there. And what were the problems? Well, Paul's going to bring them up throughout the whole letter, and we don't have time to look at that whole letter. I'd like to continue the study tonight if I could, so if you could come out tonight, we will um, continue to investigate. But what I want you to see is Paul got a letter back from a family within the church, a a predominant, perhaps, family within the church that wrote to Paul and said there were some problems at Corinth, and could you please write and address these problems. Now, Paul will end up going back to Corinth later, but uh, 
Paul writes this letter to address the problems that he saw in the church. And notice that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right in verse 10, if you would. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So how can that be? How, how could this possibly be that they were all together in the same mind and same judgment? Well, you have to have the same rule book, don't you? You have to have the same rule book. Uh, if you don't have the same rule book, you're not going to have the same mind. You can't. You can't. You all have to go by the same rule book. And, of course, that was the scriptures that Paul was giving and teaching to them. It's the word of God. He says in verse 11, For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe. It's interesting. I wonder how Chloe's household made out when this letter was read, you know. You stool pigeon, why did you do that? Why? Uh, uh, at any rate, it's been written by the house of Chloe that there are contentions among you. And of course, part of the contention you'll see was by the those people aligning themselves with Apollos, who was an eloquent speaker, and those people aligning themselves with the Apostle Paul. Paul lets them know, listen, this, this is ridiculous. We are a team. We're, 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 we're a team, and that's, that's what God is looking for, for teamwork in the body. Paul wasn't the best. Apollos wasn't the best. They were just simply servants of Christ. Keep your hand here. We're coming back. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. Paul, Apollos was so much eloquent, more eloquent than Paul apparently, that uh, people just aligned themselves. I like this guy. I like this guy. And we have seen that in, in our life. I, I know you've seen it as well, that people like this person because the way he speaks. And sometimes they like him for the way he speaks, not what he speaks. It's frightening. It really is. One time someone gave me, some of you look like you're as old as I am, but uh, one day someone gave me a, a videotape. You remember what those are? Big, fat, giant thing, you know? Someone gave me a videotape from a famous preacher, a famous preacher. And he, and he, and he was famous, and, and as a matter of fact, he is still famous to this day. But my wife and I, after church one night, we, we, we watched this videotape of this famous preacher, and at the end of it, we looked at each other and we said, he didn't use the Bible. It's true. It was absolutely true. He mentioned one verse, and then he spoke all, he shared all that was on his mind. And he couldn't afford to lose it, believe me. All he said was psychology, things like that. It wasn't the Bible. It had nothing to do with the Bible. We need to be very, very careful who we align ourselves. Maybe he's not eloquent. Maybe he is eloquent. It doesn't matter. If he's not teaching the word, we shouldn't be listening to him. You just can't listen to him. It's a waste of time, folks. You're better off listening to someone who's teaching the word of God. Why? Because it is powerful. It is living. It is able to work. All the rest of it is wood, hay, and stubble. In the end, Every bit of it. And so Paul's saying, there's problems. Apollos isn't the greatest in the world, and I'm not the greatest in the world. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice verse 5. 
Who then is Paul and who was Apollos? But ministers, servants if you would, by whom ye believed even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We go back to an agrarian culture here. When you're going to get a seed in the ground, it takes a team to do it. It takes steps to do it. Someone's got to break up the ground. Someone's got to put some seeds in the ground. Someone's got to water the thing. They're all necessary. If you just break, don't break up the ground, you throw seeds. Some will grow, most won't. If you just break up the ground and throw seeds in it and there's no water, some will live and most won't. So Paul is saying it's a team, it's a team effort. We talked with, that, um, with the men on Saturday morning about uh, being a witness for Christ. It's a team, you're only part of a team. You're not special. You, you, you're not something outstanding. You know, you're just part of a team at best. And you may not be the one that waters and sees the plants grow up. But that doesn't matter. It's not important. Important is that they grow. But you're part of the growth process when you serve the Lord with your spiritual gifts. So Paul says this, verse, uh, verse uh, 7. So then, neither is he that plants anything, neither is he that waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. See, if you're part of a team, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Isn't that wonderful? It's God's work, and if you, whatever little bit, whatever part you have in God's work, you'll be rewarded for that according to your own labor. Did you do it uh, according to the will of God, by the word of God, by the spirit of God? Now head back with me to 1 Corinthians again, please. So there are problems at Corinth, and some are thinking, well, the apostle Paul came in, and, and he, uh, he was all right, but we're lacking because of the apostle Paul. Paul said, wait, wait a minute here, lacking? What do you mean lacking? I didn't give you anything, God did. And when God gives you something, there's no lack to it at all. Paul just came as a representative of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let me ask you this, if there were no Paul, would there still be a church of Corinth? Of course there would. God would have sent someone else. God would have sent someone by a totally different name. Why? Because God's will is that people be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. So God is, God is working here mightily, and he's going to use the Apostle Paul. Let's go, if we could, back to 1 Corinthians, and notice, if you would please, in verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which was given unto you. It's God's grace. God's grace was given to them. Now, what is God's grace, essentially? Well, it's his acceptance. It's his, uh, it's his kindness granted. It's unmerited favor. God's grace was given to you. Listen, the day I believed, God gave me his unmerited favor, his grace. Now, uh, why he even took a second look at me, I won't even, I'll never know. But he did that. And he gave me his grace, his unmerited favor. And what is that grace? Well, it was his acceptance, of course. 
God's grace uh, is given in abundance to us. Now, how do, I gra- how do I put my arms around this? What do I do with this? Well, just listen to a couple of passages, if you would, please, um, in uh, the scriptures. And I'll just read them to you. Remember in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's God's, it was God's grace. You say, well, I believe, didn't I? You just grabbed on to a life ring that was going by you. Didn't make you smart. Just said, I need help, and you grabbed on. When you heard that you were a sinner headed for hell, destined for eternal damnation, hell fire, burning in fire, you grabbed the whole of the life ring, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were gloriously saved. That was God's grace. God's grace. We read in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and that word was full of grace and truth. That's our Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by our Lord Jesus Christ. Your Bible is God's grace. It's God's truth given to you. Listen, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. All you need to do is open it and read it. Isn't that great? If you don't have a Bible, tell me. I'll get you one. I'll get you a few of them. I have some written in Hebrew, some written in all different types of languages. If you need a Bible, I'll get you one. That's the only way you're going to grow. That's God's grace on print. If you don't read that, you'll always be a child, spiritually speaking. Always. Always. There's no excuse. If you don't hide God's word in your heart, you'll do what? You'll sin against them. That's what God says. Say, I can't memorize too well. I've, listen, I heard that my whole life. Then you ask him a question. Where do you live? What's your phone number? How many kids? Whatever you ask them, they can answer it quickly. Why? Because they memorize that. Why? Because that was important. This is more important. You can forget your anniversary. No, you can't. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't forget your anniversary. (laughs) What's more important, though? It's God's word, is it not? Those other things are incidental. They're important in your life, but they're incidental compared to memorizing God's word. You can do it. I know you can. Uh, When I first got saved, I entered Bible school, and I didn't have a great education, and I, I had a lot of difficulties with learning. And when I entered Bible school, they said, you have to memorize the whole book of James. What? Uh, You have to memorize this. You have to memorize that. Ten verses for this. Ten for that. Ten for that. I got three by five cards, and I wrote the verses down. And I kept them stuck in my pocket. I'd be in the bank in line. Memorizing, memorizing, memorizing. Uh, Sometimes uh, we would do it by... You know, you just, if you can't get it, you just do it by saying it a thousand times. And on the one thousand first time, you get it. That's good. Then you still have it. It's important that you recognize, memorize the word of God. Why? Because it's his grace in print. Say, well, I need help. No, you need the Bible. You need the Bible. And God will use the Bible to help you, you see. It works that way. Am I okay so far? Okay, hang on. Let's go a little bit further here. We're in 2 Peter chapter, don't turn there, but 2 Peter 3.18. We are to grow in grace. 
and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God's grace is the beginning of the end. But you need to grow. You can't just sit there. I'm saved and that's enough. It's not enough. It's enough to get you in heaven. But someday you're going to appear before him and say, I was too busy to read. I don't remember what was there. No, You're not going to, listen, that's a problem, you see. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a, a, a seat where you get reward from him. And, and we're going to be ashamed, perhaps, because we have not bothered to get into his word. You have not bothered to honor him with your life. I was busy. Too busy to honor our Lord? Too busy to think about his word? If you're too busy to do that, you're too busy. You're too busy. Set aside that time. And so we read about growing in grace. All the spiritual gifts are called grace gifts. Isn't that wonderful? All the spiritual gifts are called grace gifts. In Ephesians, the spiritual gifts, grace gifts. In Colossians 4, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer every person. How can you know what to answer a person? You say, well, I'm very smart. You're not smarter than God. He has the answer, you see. He has his word. Are you, are you getting this? None of this is about you. You're not the most important person in the world. Listen, I've been to those psychology classes. You are important. He doesn't know me. <laughs> a couple classes I had to go to for work. I don't know why I was stuck in them, but for a big company, I had to go on, on uh, sensitivity training. Oh, I like that. Being sensitive. Well, you need to be sensitive about some things, but you need to be biblical about everything. You need to hide God's word in your heart. You need to know more about him. Now, the moment the church at Corinth believed, I only have a couple minutes, so hang on. I promise not to go as late as Pastor Rob, okay? Let's, uh, but we, I only have a couple minutes, but hang on a minute if you would, please. Paul says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 5. God's grace was bestowed upon them, verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge. Remember, remember the church was saying, well, we were cheated because we had the dummy Paul with us. That's what some of them were saying. Oh, his, his letters sound pretty rough, but when you see him, he's nothing. But that's not what God said. God said, through the apostle Paul, you are enriched in everything. Now, what does that mean? Well, it gets a little bit technical, but I, don't miss this. So it's written in the uh, aorist indicative passive. What that simply means is, Paul could have written it this way, that in everything you were Im immediately enriched by him. The minute you believed, you were given God's enrichment. Well, what is some of that? Well, think about this for a moment. First of all, you were permanently indwelt by his blessed Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that happened. The second you believe you, the Spirit of God came to live in you. you. Say, well, I didn't experience it. You're not supposed to necessarily. You're not supposed to necessarily. But he came to indwell you. When I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing happened. That is outward physically. I didn't get all hot and sweaty. 
lay down and cry, fall down, bark like a dog, roar like a lion. Listen, people do that today. They think it's the Holy Spirit. It is not. That's emotion. No, some people cry when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I understand that. Uh, if my wife wasn't there, I probably would have cried, but I don't want her to think I'm a, a weenie or anything, you know. But uh, it's, not, it's not an emotional experience per se. It's a real truth that happened, and it happened the minute you grabbed on to the life ring. You were enriched by him. You were placed into the body of Christ. You don't know this, but you are, you're here today. I see you. That's good. But you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That happened the second you believe. What? That's, that's our assurance. That's where we're going. Where? Where he is. Your eternal destiny was secure forever. You shall forever be with the Lord. Some people say, I think I can lose my salvation. You can keep thinking that, but you can't. You can't. You're eternally secure in him. You're fixed in him by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You were given spiritual gifts. Every single one of you in this audience who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift. If you don't use it, it's called sin. If you do use it, it's being called being part of the body. Every one of us has at least one spiritual gift. You say, well, I don't know what they are. You, well, you need to read, don't you? You need to read it and see what God says about it. You are seated in heavenly places, I mentioned. You were able to resist the power of sin. Before you became a Christian, you were not able not to sin. But now, as a Christian, you're able not to sin. You're given the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you from sinfulness. You can resist it. You can say no to sin. Prior to your salvation, you couldn't. But after your salvation, you can. Why? Because God has given us power over sin and the devil. So as he talks to this church at Corinth, he tells them, listen, you were given everything you needed in all utterance, that would be speech, all knowledge, that's spiritual wisdom. They, they received it all the moment that they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pick it up again tonight, Lord willing, at 6 o'clock. If you'd like to, please come out and join us uh, and hear from God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revealed truth, for the written word of God. What an example it's given us. Lord, we know that we, as the people of the Cornerstone Church, all have a little Corinthianism in us. Father, it's a difficult world that we live in, but it's not an excuse for sin. It's a difficult world we live in, but it's not an excuse for ignorance of God's word. It's a difficult world we live in, but it's not an excuse to reject your word. Father, we pray that you'd help us. Give us the strength we need through the spirit of God, by the word of God, to grow in grace and in his knowledge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.